This morning we're looking at Revelation 1, 1 through 8. We are not at Advent yet. That's next week. Um, but I thought, what would kind of get us there? What would, what would move us towards that? And I think this sort of, uh, this passage gives us, uh, well, it's full of all sorts of great ideas, but um, I think this sort of gets us moving in that direction. That's all I'll say about that. So Revelation 1, 1 through 8, you'll find the words behind me on the screen, or it'll be in front of you if you're watching. Uh, if you've got it with you, follow along that way. Before we read it, let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for, for this book, for the Bible, for the scriptures, for uh, the ways in which you speak to us in it and through it by the power and presence of your spirit. And so we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that you would, that you would speak this morning, that we would, that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Revelation 1, 1 through 8. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was, who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We'll go that far. So, I love that. Um, again, lots of really, really great ideas in there. And if we had all the time in the world, we would talk about all of them. But we don't really have all the time in the world, so we're going to talk about one of them. And I'm only going to say really one thing this morning, so it'll be like 20 minutes of one thing. Are you ready for that? But it's a really cool thing, and I think it's a thing that gets repeated again and again and again and again, over and over and over in different ways, all throughout the Scripture, from the very first sentence to the very end. It's a theme that runs all throughout, and we're just going to talk about it this morning. Sound good? We're going to get at it like this. There's a story. I don't know where I got it. Um... It's, it's one of those things that gets stuck in your brain. I don't, know, I don't know who told it to me first or where I heard it or where I read it. I'm thinking it may have even been in, in one of those. Remember back in the day when we didn't have Facebook or Twitter or social media, 
when we forwarded emails to each other, and it would be like forward, forward, forward in the subject line, and that's the way we shared these stories with each other. Now they just get sort of posted on Facebook, but, uh, but I think this may have been one of those stories that, that came at me through a forwarded email. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I just don't know who to credit, but the story goes like this. That was a long introduction to a very short story. Dumb. Anyway, so there is this, this, uh, this woman who is the CEO of a very large company, um, and she was late to a, a meeting, a boardroom meeting, uh, so she's kind of in a hurry. Uh, she walks into the room, and she sees all these people sort of milling about. You, you think about a, a big oval table with chairs all around with you know, other important people in the company. So she's late because she's doing CEO things, because that's what CEOs do. Uh, she walks in, and she's anxious to get the meeting started, so she just sits down in the chair that's closest to her. So she sits down in the chair, and a, and a young staffer or aide or assistant sort of leans over and whispers in her ear, ma'am, no, you're supposed to sit at the head of the table. Uh, and then she so, sort of leans back, and she goes, young man, uh, here's something that you need to learn. Uh, wherever I sit is the head of the table. Oh, that's a vision of authority, right? Gravitas. That's a vision, a story of someone who knows who she is and knows that no matter where she sits, she's the one with the authority. She's at the head of the table no matter where she is. Authority. Gravitas. A sense of presence, important presence. That's sort of the vision of God that John is trying to give the seven churches in the province of Asia because they really, really needed to hear it. Remember, this is, if, if you know anything about Revelation, this is a letter from John, from a very real person to some very real people in a very real place in time. And these people really needed to hear that whatever circumstances they found themselves in, God is with them. God is there. God is the one with the authority. God is the one who is present. God is the one who has their back. Why would these people need to hear that? Well, let's think about who these people were. These churches were filled with people who had heard about the life of Jesus, all about Jesus. They heard about all the things that he had taught, they heard about all the things that he had done, how he healed people. He made the lame walk, the deaf hear, the, the blind to see. He crossed all sorts of cultural, social, religious boundaries just to make sure that he included people who were marginalized, people who've been, who've been set aside, people who've been pushed aside. They heard about how he had then been executed on a cross by the Roman Empire and about how three days later he rose from the grave resurrection. They had also been told that he was going to come back one day. See, he's coming in the clouds, John says, gives them that vision. They heard how he was going to come back one day and finish what he had started, put the world back together again, make everything new, make everything right again. And they had faith in this Jesus. They had, be, they had come to believe that these were the things that were going to happen. And that faith inspired them to wait expectantly for Jesus to come back and make things whole again. They waited, and they waited, 
and they waited. You know what happened? It didn't happen. That didn't happen. In fact, their world got worse. The Roman Empire got stronger. The cult of the Roman Empire just got stronger. Things got worse. And because this group of Jesus people decided not to participate in the religion of the Roman Empire, decided not to worship Caesar, things got really bad for them. No one would come do business with them if they had a local business. They were shunned. They were pushed aside, set aside. Some of their mothers and fathers, some of their brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles were punished because of their faith. Like we're talking real persecution, beatings, thrown in jail. Some of them would have lost their lives for their faith. So it's not too hard to imagine this group of people in these seven churches scattered throughout the province of Asia. It's not too hard for us to imagine them thinking to themselves, where is Jesus already? Like, why isn't this happening? Is he going to really set the world right again? Or are we sort of just delusional? Like, is this really a thing? Is it worth it? Because look at what's happening. Where is this kingdom we've been told all about? For them, if God really was alive and active in this world, it took a whole lot of faith to believe it. If God really was alive and active in the, in the world, it, it took a whole lot of faith to, to sort of see it. Because what they were seeing, what they were experiencing, didn't match what they believed. Right? Ever feel like that? You, you ever in that place, you ever look at the world and, and go, man, is, is, is God even here? Like, what's happening? Like, we think about what's happening in Israel, Palestine. It's like, where are you? What's happening, God? Sometimes we have circumstances in our own lives where things just go to, you know what? It's like, God, are you, are you here? Who's in charge here anyway? You ever asked that question? Wondered that? Right? It's into that kind of community, feeling those kinds of things that John wrote this big vision, this letter of revelation. These people needed to be reminded that God really is alive and active in the world. These people needed to know that, that God really was there, present, needed to know that God was at the head of the table. So at the beginning of this book, John paints this picture, this big vision of God who is much, much bigger than any of our tiny little brains can even begin to handle, right? This is a God who is larger than space and time itself, beyond space and time. And the more we learn about the universe, how big and large and expansive and expanding it really is, this really breaks our brain today. God is larger than space and time itself. But not only is God larger than space and time itself, beyond it, outside, but God has also invaded space and time itself. And the only reason that God invades space and time itself is to be present, to be in relationship with the one he has created. The divine has made God's self known. Middle of verse four, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. In verse eight, I am the alpha, the omega, right? says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come. Alpha and omega are the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter 
of the Greek alphabet, right? All encompassing. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In the Hebrew tradition, rabbis often refer to God as just the truth. God is the truth. And in Hebrew, the word for truth is emet, and it has three letters in it. It's aleph, mem, and tav. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Anyone guess what Mame is? The middle letter. That's just cool. Come on now. Like God is the truth. Emet, Tav, beginning, middle, end. Right? God is the one who is and who was and who is to come. God is larger than space. Like this idea, I can't fathom this idea. God is larger than space and time as we know it, but God is also invading space and time as we know it. This is a God of authority. This is a God of gravitas. This is a vision of God who's at the head of the table. So we're going to look at one little piece of that. We're going to begin where John begins. God is the one who is. Those two words We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about God is the one who is. And this is not going to become me standing up. It's not going to be me standing up here trying to prove to you the existence of the divine. That's not what this is. We're all people of faith. This is going to trace this idea all throughout the scriptures, because I think this is the message that John is trying to get across to these people who are living in a world that doesn't match what they necessarily believe. Their experiences, they're struggling. It's hard. They need to know that God is the God who is present, alive, active in this world. We're going to start uh, back in the Old Testament, the God who is. You'll find this in Exodus chapter 3. This is cool. So God commands Moses to go to the Israelites, right, who were in Egypt at the time. And God commands this guy named Moses to go tell the Israelites that that God is going to set them free from slavery. Now, Moses is a reasonably smart dude. So he knows that when he goes to the Israelites, they're going to be like, who are you? We don't know who you are. So he says to God, well, they're not going to know who I am. So they're probably going to ask, well, who sent you? And God says this, tell them I am sent you. They're going to want to know your name, God. They're going to want to know which God is the one who sent you. Who, what do I tell them when they ask me your name? Tell them I am sent you. I am? That's God's name? I am. Sometimes we, we hear God referred to as the great I am, God is the one who just is. God is the one. God is so large and so awesome that no one name can capture the divine. No one name can capture the the essence of God. God is so large and so awesome that words can't describe it. In fact, you can't find enough words, I don't think, if you put all the words together and all the human languages on earth, you couldn't find enough words to describe the divine. So we just simply say, ooh, God is the one. God just is. 
me take a different angle here. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. The earth was a, a formless void. So we have this picture. It's like this weird, formless, cosmic, chaotic goop. And we can't even say it's floating in space yet because space hadn't been created yet. So we don't, it's this really weird, odd, chaotic, formless goop that we don't know what to do with, right? And it's, it's sort of, what does God do next? God just begins to speak. God begins to speak, to breathe out words in the middle of all that formless cosmic goop. And when God speaks, things happen. This is, this is the image of, because these people lived in an era where kings and kingdoms existed. So this is the image of a king. Like if you have a, a king with a kingdom and a king says something, issues an order, a decree, like the whole place gets moving. Like you do what the king says because the king has ultimate authority. And if you don't do what the king says, what happens? It's off with your head. So things happen. The king speaks, it happens. It just moves. So God starts speaking. Let there be light. And there was light. It just happened by the authority, the word of God. Let there be light and there was light. Let dry ground appear, and it was so. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, and it happened. And God said, let us, let us make human beings in our image, and it was so, and it was very good. Whatever, whatever God spoke came into being. The entire universe, all we see and experience as creation, every single little bit of it came into being, comes into being, because God spoke. God's word, and God is speaking. It all happens because of the word of the Lord. Are you with me? Now we'll move to John chapter 1, right? This will be familiar to you. In the beginning, when John starts John's little gospel about Jesus, and he says, in the beginning, what's he trying to get us to think about? Any ideas? Genesis. Because how does Genesis start? In the beginning. So he's trying to spark in our imaginations and in our brains, right? The creation story, right? It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. What happens in the Genesis story? God speaks. The universe is born, right? Sounds familiar. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Then down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So we've got this creative, active word of God. And through that word of God, the entire universe was made. And now this creative word of God becomes flesh becomes a human being, one of us. We know, of course, this creative word of God to be none other than the flesh and blood person of Jesus. Oh, now we move to Colossians chapter 1. Paul, 
right? A rabbi, a Pharisee, he picks up this idea, he repackages it, says it a little bit differently, and gives it to some people who need to hear it. Colossians 1, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. Sound familiar? Like all of this sort of fits together. He is before all things. Now listen to this. And in him all things hold together. Grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and who is to come. God is the one who is. God is larger than space and time as we know it, but also invades space and time as we know it, is present. God has so invaded space and time as we know it that God is present in our lives every single moment of every single day. There isn't a day, a second that goes by without the presence of God in our lives. In Jesus, all things hold together. God is always present. Are you getting the sense for how big those two words really are? God is the one who is. I just thought of another story in the Bible that illustrates this. Can I share it with you? You know Jacob's ladder? I love this. This is really cool. Jacob's ladder. Okay, so Jacob's on the run. His life is a mess. Like these people's lives are a mess. I hope I get the story right. His life is a mess. He sort of scammed his brother out of the inheritance, and his brother's really mad at him, wants to kill him. It's not, it's not a good family dynamic. Um, so he's on the run, and eventually he gets to this point out, out, in, out in the wilderness, and he falls asleep, and he has the dream, right? He has this dream, and what does he see? He sees a ladder extending from heaven to earth, Right? And what's on the ladder? Do you remember? Angels are on the ladder. And they're ascending and descending back and forth and back and forth between heaven and earth. What are angels? Angels are are messengers. What do angels carry? They carry the word of the Lord. So what are these angels? What are these angels? What is he seeing? He's seeing the infrastructure of of the universe, what holds all things together, the word of the Lord carried by the angels. He has this mystical vision, this mystical understanding that, oh my goodness, the the world is held together by the creative, active, present word of God. In Jesus, all things hold together. The word become flesh in him. That is so cool. God is the one who is. This is an idea that gets carried out all throughout the scriptures, right? Are you getting a sense for how important this idea is? I wonder, why is it that we have to remind ourselves of this so often? Like, why does this theme have to be repeated again and again and again and again, and again, in different ways throughout the scriptures. If God really is the one who is, then why don't we see God more often? Why is that? If God is that present in our lives, 
then every single moment is a moment with God, then why aren't we more aware of it? And what, is, what does Jacob say when he wakes up from his dream? Oh my goodness, God was in this place and I didn't know it. Why don't we know it more often? Maybe the issue is we just don't look. That could be it. Maybe the issue is, is we just forget to look. Maybe we just get distracted because we got so much going on in our lives and so many experiences that we just aren't aware. You know what I used to think? I used to think, I, I remember vividly thinking this in seminary. Because here I am in a, in a group of, you know, I'm, I'm immersed in this world where we're learning how to be pastors. We're learning how to be shepherds. All that language. Um, so I'm immersed in this world, right? And I remember thinking that one day as I got older, and of course now, 20-some years later, now I'm think I am my future self from back then. I remember thinking one day, you know, as I grow older, as I get more spiritually mature, as I learn more, I'll just, I'll just become more aware of God's presence in my life. I'll, 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 like, I'll like have this super ability to be able to discern the presence of God like all the time. It'll just be like me and God walking around, all me and the divine, like always in communion. Like I, I imagine myself getting to that place where it was like, oh, my whole life is just saturated with an awareness of God. You know what I found out? No. I'm such a disappointment to myself. No. I mean, maybe, maybe a little. Maybe a little, but for the most part, it isn't like that. I'm not always aware. I don't always. Think. I don't know. I don't know how you feel or what your life is like. But I found out that you know what? I'm just a human, and maybe our brains just don't our hearts and souls and brains and whatever it is this weird mixes that makes us human we just don't have that ability and maybe that's okay maybe god's just fine with that and maybe that's what makes this time so important where we gather together week after week after week, after week, intentionally to remind ourselves that God is with us and God is for us and that God loves us and God is on our side. Maybe, maybe it's what makes intentional prayer time just that much more important because we just happen to be creatures. We're not gods. We're just creatures. And we just need to be reminded time and time and again that God is with us, that God is for us.
And maybe that's okay. Because look, you think about how busy your life is. Anybody have a busy life? Nobody? Y'all are just chill? It's all good? You think about all the things that you have to do, from the big things to the little things. We got a lot going on. We got experiences flying at us every day, all the time. So it's good for us to gather and remember that God is the one who is now present. So I don't know what table you're sitting at. I don't. But believe this, God's sitting at the table with you. Maybe you're sitting at the table of of sadness. Maybe it's the table of grief or sorrow. Maybe it's the table of, of pain and suffering. God's at your table, suffering right alongside of you. Maybe... Maybe you're sitting at the table of confusion. Maybe it's the table of doubt. Maybe it's the table of not really knowing what you believe right now. It's all right. God's at the head of that table too. Maybe you're sitting at the table of joy. Maybe you're sitting at the table of happiness. Maybe you're sitting at the table where everything's going the way it ought to be going, and you're just, you're just grateful. And maybe, because here's the thing, God's seen you at your best and wants to experience those moments right along with you. Whatever table you're sitting at, God is there with you at the head of that table. The only question is, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? Are we paying attention? Most of us are going to sit this Thursday, around a table. So here's what I want you to do. While you're at that table, whether it's a table that fills you with anxiety or whether it's a table that fills you with just so much joy and love, while you're at the table, whether it's at the prayer time or another time, doesn't matter, just imagine. Use your imagination while you're at that table. Imagine the presence of the divine just descending upon you, whatever that looks like in your mind. Imagine the presence of the divine descending on that table just to be with you. God is the one who is. Let's pray.